You're listening to TechNest, the PropTech Podcast. In each episode, you'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. Discover market opportunities, interesting data, growth tactics, and trends driving the industry forward. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. Okay, I've got a fantastic guest for you that I'm excited to introduce, Sal Patalano. He's executive vice president at a company called Plantific. He's leading their North American expansion bringing with him 30 plus years of experience in technology and an entrepreneur with senior leadership roles at companies such as IBM and Lenovo. He's self-admittedly not a real estate guy, but he understands operations, expansion, and large complicated businesses. And Plantific is definitely building a large business. They have a growing network of 1 million plus properties and 20,000 service providers worldwide as part of their network. As we talk, and you'll hear in this episode, Plantific really is all about making real-time property op- operations a reality. There's a lot to this here, and Ben Sal is going to get into all the details. You got to hear what they've been building, how they're going about it, and the challenges they're up taking a business that's been succeeding across the pond and expanding it in the United States rental market. Let's jump right in, hear what he has to say. Hey, Sal. Welcome to the show. Hey, Nate. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you on the show. Now, before uh, before we really get into things, we were talking a little bit about your background before the show. You mentioned you're really a software guy now in a real estate world to some degree. Uh, but you, you, you know, we somehow got on the topic of Max, and you have you have some. I don't know if I want to put this out in the air, so I'm going to let you. But you have some prized possessions. I do, I do. Yeah, I go back to the. Um... The very, very early days of the Mac, I actually had a software publishing company, and I was uh, fortunate to work very closely um, with Steve, with Steve Jobs and the whole Mac development team. And uh, in the early days, I was given um, a prototype, Macintosh, uh, which I still have hidden. I won't say where it is. Um, And it has the original 39 signatures that are imprinted on the inside of the cover. I have uh, an original Lisa uh, with twin profile five megabyte drives which at the time was just was just unheard of it was the ferrari of machines we had to develop on the lisa and cross compile over to the mac because the mac only had 128k of memory you couldn't develop on it and i've got a bunch of other stuff i've got original apple development team mac development team t-shirts tucked away so yeah the, the joke is i told my daughter when when i finally kicked the bucket don't worry about the insurance and the assets and the portfolio. Just go f- find those devices and sell them, and you'll be good. There it is. Uh, well, just a handful of people are going to put you on a. Uh, can we just give you a call back every year or two to <laughs> list to to see if you're good? I, you know, it actually reminds me of when I was a. Well, I'm not going to go down that story. I'll leave that alone. But that's that's very fascinating, cool. Well, I'm excited to have you on the show here. Um, I think you've got a unique angle that can bring of talking about tech and how it works or even the challenges of getting tech to work 
in real estate. So um, as I always like to start off the show, please go ahead and introduce yourself. Let everyone know who you are and what you do. Sure. So my name is Sal Petalano, and I'm the Executive Vice President of North America for Plantific. Um, Plantific is headquartered in the UK, been around about uh, nine or so years, 10 years. And as of about a year and a half ago, we um, we decided to expand into into the US and I was brought in to do that. I've, I've done that a few times with some other organizations and uh, we're growing now rapidly in the US. We are the fastest growing and, and likely one of the best funded prop techs in the industry, certainly in the UK and uh, I would argue probably in, in the US as well. And um, our primary uh, investor, and we have a number of them, but our primary is Brookfield. And about a year and a half or so ago, Brookfield um, participated in our Series C to the tune of about $100 million. Uh, we still had RXRs involved, Mubadala, Highland Europe. So we have some very, very solid uh, investors backing the company and providing an awful lot of insight, guidance, connections, all the things you would expect from companies at, at that level. Yeah, and for for what you guys do, having Brookfield as an investor makes a lot of sense because they can not only, you know, share in the upside value as you guys grow the company, but in the services that you provide and the advantages it even means to their properties and of themselves. So let's let's get into uh, well, actually before we get into the specifics, I I, I want to cover your background a little bit because um, yeah. we we alluded to it here. You've got some. Unless you're a very serious collector paying high premium dollar, you, you've got some technical equipment that you acquired through a, a bit of a career path. Can you walk us through like some of the the steps that got you here? We don't need the not that I don't want to hear the whole life story, but you know what was the background leading to Plentific? Sure, and I'll give you the short version. So I actually I sort of went backwards. I was an entrepreneur for many many years. I had several companies that. I founded and co-founded, I managed to exit two of them. Um, and this goes back to early software development, software system integration. I was um, a teacher and a founder of the Microcomputer Institute at the University of Miami many, many years ago. Um, and from education into entrepreneurship, from that uh, exited a few companies. And then somehow, I'm not quite sure how this happened, Nate, but I had no interest even staying in high tech. And I somehow ended up in Fortune 500. Uh, I was brought into IBM by a couple of very good friends who at the time, and gosh, I guess it was, um, I'm going to say probably around, oh my goodness, 06, 07, I got approached and they said, hey, you know, we we know you exited a company and how'd you like to come work with us? And I was a partner with them already. Long story short, I ended up at IBM uh, rebuilding global software channels there. That was about a four and a half billion dollar business and took a sabbatical and then ended up at CA Technologies, large mainframe software distributed software company up out of Long Island, the old computer associates, and then was recruited into Lenovo, um, where I was asked to come in and uh, develop a commercial software division um, as CRO there. And that was just a, just a blast. Um, and then I got approached by, um, by Plentific, uh, indicating that they had a role uh, in North America, uh, it was now time to expand into North America. And I was recruited over and it was the the little anecdote here, Nate, is that when I was approached by the recruiter and was told, hey, we have this fantastic leadership opportunity. It's building the U.S. and North America up from the ground and sounds like it's right up your alley. He said, it's PropTech, to which I responded. I said, well, that, that sounds great. And I was Googling, what is PropTech? 
Um, and I'm, this is not this is not a a fish story. This is this is, and that's how Sal found Technus podcast. <laughs> I actually started watching a few, and I did come across some of yours as well. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and and quite literally, I started my education, and over a number of months, I eventually uh, came on board with Plantific. And candidly, Nate, I had a lot of opportunity to stay in Fortune 500, which was not really my first choice. So when I made the decision to come to Plantific, I scrutinized the platform very, very carefully because, again, I'm a tech guy. I'm a software guy. And then I scrutinized the company, and um, I, I came to the realization that they had a tiger by the tail. They, they really did. So I jumped in, you know, lock, stock, and barrel, and here I am. Love it. I love it. Well, I mean, there's a handful of things in there, but, like, you know, your your previous experience as – a founder and builder is probably, you know, I could see your fortune 500 coming in into play here, like working across continents and, you know, managing a large division. But yeah, I, I would look at your, your probably experience as a founder and an entrepreneur as being like a, a significant advantage in your, in your position. You know, how's that really helped you with thinking about how you wanted to build out this U S uh, expansion of the business for Plantific? Well, it's it's a very good question, um, and I haven't been asked that yet. And I'll, I'll give you two parts to the answer. One, um, the gray hair um, has allowed me to come in and really impart a little bit of wisdom um, to a lot of the um, you know the younger the younger team members who are absolutely brilliant um, and are doing just an amazing job. But I'm able to come in and say, hey, you know, I've seen this before. I kind of know how this story ends, and I can I can provide some insight. The second part to the answer is I was always the one, Nate, who poured the Kool-Aid. I recruited the top talent, you know, at my companies, even at the Fortune 500. And I'm going to say quite honestly, when I met the the CEO and co-founder at Plantific, um, Jim um, Savas, I was for the first time the person who drank the Kool-Aid. Um, mm. <laughs> Jim was impressive um, and remains impressive. He's an incredibly bright guy and Coming from someone like me, anyone who who knows me will tell you I don't throw accolades out um, easily, and that was really what what won me over. and um, And I I was able to bring something to the table that was valuable. I had done this twice before. I had grown a North American market. Um, I think, uh, you know, I think I know a little more than I don't doing it. And I was just I was jazzed to come on yeah. board. You know, my my wife is involved as a small real estate investor. And when I explained to her what it was, she just looked at me and she said to me, you realize that there is a gaping hole in this space that does not look like it's getting filled. Um, she said, they are really onto something. And then once I saw the tech was stable um, and, and you know, 170 plus developers who were being managed by the other co-founder, um, Emre, I just said, this thing's a no brainer. So I jumped. I came wow. on board, you know, they, they, I was going to use the old joke, you know, they had me at hello, but boy, I got to tell you, they, <laughs> they, they, went, they went over an old dog. Who's not easily impressed. I love it. So let, let, let's get down to brass tacks here. Talk to me about Plantific, its solutions, what it's doing to impact real estate through technology. Well, Plantific, we're in the op we're in the operation side of the business, right? So, so the mm -hmm. platform itself is designed. It's a SaaS solution that's designed to cover everything, really from from cradle to grave. Anything that happens on the operational side of the business, from 
from work orders and, and maintenance and repairs and renovations and, you know, turns and inspections. It's, it's soup to nuts all the way through disbursement and scheduling and management and automation and workflows all the way through payments, et cetera. But the bigger, the bigger thing for us is the whole um, holistic approach in that we see the, the property owners and property management companies starting to make the move towards complete digitalization. Mm-hmm. And that's that's an onerous task and that's an imposing task. And what we've done is we've we've sat back and we've said, OK, what's it going to take over three, five, seven years in the industry to not just bring our tech to the table, but to bring a broader digitalization solution to companies when we sit with them? And mm-hmm. the simple answer we we arrived at over time, Nate, was a consultative approach. It, it really was as simple as that. And, and I'll give you a comparison in terms of what I mean by that. When I was in the software industry, pick, pick a platform, cyber, uh, disaster and backup recovery, cloud services or storage. All of these technologies are something that you can walk into virtually any company and there's a need. Even mm-hmm. if they're running the tech already, they will sit down, they will listen, they will absorb it. When... I came to the property sector, what I realized very quickly was there's not a real, um, there's no impetus behind it to do it. There's no desire to buy anything. Um, Mm. There's no adoption, broad adoption of technology. So the first few months I was here, again, to be very transparent, I looked at our pipeline, I looked at the companies we were speaking with, and I looked at our sales motion and our approach. And after a few months, I took a step back and I said, time out. This is not going to work. Now, we're killing it in the UK and, and we're growing fast in Germany, but we've been in the market there a long time. We're mature, we're well branded, we have, you know, seven or eight hundred clients and you know, million plus doors on the platform, but we're not that in the US. Mm-hmm. And while we speak the same languages, we really don't between the UK and the US. So mm-hmm. I sat with the senior team. I sat with Emre and Jem and Guy, our CRO, and some of our, our senior tech people and other sales folks. And I said, you know, what's the best way to do this? And the answer we came up with was consultative. So when when we attack the industry, we're not just trying to bring tech. We're not just trying to get people to invest in our technology and let us mm-hmm. come in and, and digitalize everything. But it's a much, much bigger solution. For example, we looked at one of the challenges in the industry that go to um, workforce and uh, contractors and things like that, managing the supply chain. Yep. And one of the distinct advantages, I believe, to the way we're going about things with our platform is we actually come in and we develop marketplaces in the various cities where our clients hold properties, meaning we'll go in and identify, solicit, and fully vet trades group, you know, trade groups across the gamut, plumbers, mm-hmm. you know, landscapers, painters, whatever mm-hmm. it takes, whatever the client has a need for. We mm-hmm. vet them, we bring them into a marketplace, and we provide access to them in our tech. So not just being able to send a job to your maintenance crew and scheduling it and looking for who's available and who's where, et cetera, et cetera, and driving mm-hmm. work orders, or to mm-hmm. contractors you may already be working with. You may have a great relationship with a plumber or an electrician or five of them. But mm-hmm. giving our clients this additional option that says, given today's supply chain shortages and challenges, uh, here's a third option. Click here and get up to five bids very, very quickly. 
Mm. Different concept. So unlike some of our competitors that provide access to contractors, a list you can go through and call them, or they'll come in and manage an entire set of jobs for you with, with their with their own contractors, et cetera. We decided to go marketplace, right? So we develop it and we're hands off. We're we're like a like an Amazon. We still manage um the pool and we still, you know, keep up on them and make sure everything is up to date and validated, insurance certifications, training, et cetera. But it added a whole different dimension. And as we started moving into the market and we started having people beat a path to our door, which I think is mm-hmm. happening with us and our competitors right now, we realized the other missing piece was was data, right? Driving decisions through data and data analysis. Now, this is where my software background came into play. I was involved. I worked at IBM when we acquired Cognos, right? The earliest software platform for, for big data, right? And, mm-hmm, and you know mm-hmm. decision uh, decision making and things like that. So we were already doing this in the UK. And we said, hey, we've got to beef this up and bring it to the US. So we have this whole approach on the consultative side that says, here here's access to a whole pool of data, right? Whether it's coming from someone else in your tech stack, it's coming from a Yardie or an Intrada or someone else we've integrated with, right? Mm-hmm. We have access to it, and we're going to provide the property owners and the property management companies with access and a bird's eye view into data that they're not seeing today. So when you put all the Such pieces Such as together, like what, vacancy rates or number of <laughs> Actually, maintenance requests? We, we don't so much go there. Think of data related to your repairs, uh, uh-huh. supply chain, um, uh, time on turns, uh, you know, okay. um, performance of your, of your team's performance of your contractors, your Got spend, it. your trends your analysis, things like that, um, gotcha. really on the operational side, right? So long story short, when when we sit with our clients, we don't just sit there and say, hey, we're going to get your turns done fast. We take a step back and we say, let's look at the whole thing. Let's look at how you're driving your process. Let's look at what resources you have. Let's try to figure out where your supply chain is strong and where it's weak. And then let's really look at what data is coming in and what data you're not getting, what data you could use to improve operations. So very consultative. In fact, uh, I'll tell you jokingly, when our when our sales teams go out and our consultants go out, um, we've actually had <laughs> we've actually had prospects and clients come up to us and say, hey, when are you going to show us the product? Quite literally, we're not ready to show you the product yet. Why not? (laughs) Hand to God, why not? Because our product is so broad and it's so capable and it's so feature rich. If we don't know what to show you, we'll be an hour and a half on a call. We may not have Mm. gotten to what you need. So we take mm-hmm, a very, mm-hmm. very consultative approach. That, that to me is is the big difference. And to our competitors out there, for whom I've developed a lot of respect for in the fourteen months I've I've been with Plantific, um, I would say as I see them and I speak with them, I think everybody's going going down this path. Nate, and it's yeah. a, a tough sell in the in the real estate sector. People are not used to buying, and they don't. Generally speaking, I don't think they're they're driven to buy, and, and I I don't think tech has been high on their list, but it's all shifting, shifting rapidly from what I see. I got a few follow-ups here. So you, you mentioned, you know, building out a marketplace, you know, and, and marketplaces are tough. I mean, they, yes, it's generally, as far as I understand, you, you first get the supply. You have to have the supply because if, if the supply is in demand at all, 
some demand will at least find you once you have supply. But you've got to get supply. So you got to get the supply side and then you have the demand side. And I think here, the, su- the supply side is that you need contractors because on the demand side, there's always repairs. There's always a job needing done. And there couldn't be any better time, I think, in consolidating a marketplace for you know maintenance and turns and that sort of thing because the, the workforce is not exactly expanding uh, in that particular uh, area. So, um, but... <laughs> Help me out with this, and I'll play like the the devil's advocate side. Why would I not just use Thumbtack? Can't can I just find like there's other marketplaces, right? That maybe aren't specifically within this. Why couldn't I just go to go to that or, or post it on Craigslist? Like what what is the particular advantage here of doing this directly within Plantific? Sure. Well, first of all, everything's integrated. So take for example a typical repair. Someone's sink is leaking, and the tenant, you know connects into the system, we triage it down, we know exactly what's wrong, photos, videos, voice, whatever it is. Now mm-hmm. it passes through to the property manager, right? The property manager now looks at it and says, okay, my superintendent on site, not available, can't get it done. Um, I usually go to Joe's Plumbing. Joe can't get out there until Tuesday at four. This is a Friday, I've got to get this thing done. In yeah. our world, literally all they do is click on the marketplace and sometimes as little as sometimes as little as twenty minutes, they've got three to four bids that have come in. These are bids on work orders. These are not leads. They're not calling the contractor and saying, "Hey, I see you with you know Plantific's marketplace. Let me tell." Everything is automated, so the contractor wow. gets yep. something that lights up on his or her phone or tablet and says, "Hey, there's a job posting at X Y Z. This is what it is. Reads all the details. Can ask some questions back and forth and says, "Done. Four hundred twenty-five dollars." And it goes up. The bid comes in. It appears along with up to five more. And these contractors are rated. So you can look at their ratings. You can look at previous jobs. You can see how they're pricing mm-hmm. against the competition. We even mm-hmm. put a whole uh, spiel on them. You could get to any of their uh, reviews that appear in some of the, the more common sites. So literally everything is handed to you. You can quite easily go like this one good click. Work orders automatically generated. All the disclosures, all the terms and conditions are agreed to, comes down in minutes to the contractor. And Mm. and you've already set a time. You've provided instructions on where the tenant is. Will the tenant be there? Can they get in? How did they get in? Et cetera, et cetera. Virtually everything is is automated. So now, you know, John's plumbing gets the job, rolls a truck. You know, Bill gets out there, knows exactly what's going on, deals with it. If he or she sees something bigger, can communicate back and forth. We've got a triangular communication with the property landlord or the property manager, the tenant, et cetera, to the contractor can say, hey, it's going to take another hundred bucks or et cetera. Once the job's done, quite literally, John the plumber bills out there, says done, automatically generates the invoice and everything goes through the system electronically. So so there's no going back at the end of the day and writing up invoices. Uh, there's no complication it's fully yep. automated, and and we obviously we fully vet. I mean these these contractors are vetting to an extent that they're not vetted anywhere else, and it's real time. So in our mm. system, when we vet a contractor, if that contractor lapses on say their general liability, as of the end of June, we will know before them because they'll get it via email or mail. We're connected to 10,000 brokers electronically. We know in a matter of minutes, hey, you know, John's Plumbing 
lapses insurance. Wow. The system will block the work order going through. John can't bid on the job. It's all automated. So this is not pick up the phone, check a bid, get a fax, get a PDF. This is all this is all automated. And we've got 16,000 vendors on our platform in the UK. And we're processing over 42,000 work orders a month through the system. So wow. it, it works. <laughs> the, the platform is tight. It, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Tight. Let, let me, so, you know, when I, when I take a look through the Plantific website, I see, I know you mentioned operations and I see like a largely a lot of language around maintenance, but is Plantific designed to be the, and, and you also talked about integrations earlier. So is it only supposed to be just in the maintenance and, and back in operations or is it, can it facilitate like rental applications and take in, do screenings and, uh, you know, be a, a, a front end user interface for the, the, the renter as well as the property manager. Can you walk me through a little bit, like where does it start and stop as far as the solution here? Sure. So again, a good question. We're not in that space yet. We, we don't handle things like advertising and, you know, securing um, an application and then approving and lease com completion, rent collection. We don't do that. There's, there's some great ERPs out there and that do that. I mean, Yardi is you know brilliant and Entrada and Appfolio and, and RealPage. They're all out there. Where we pick up is the point at which any one of five events takes place, where you have maintenance, you have a repair, right? You are initiating a turn. We've got a brilliant uh, module that handles turns. Um, you've got renovations. We can manage large renovation projects in in numbers too, at scale, and mm -hmm. also inspections. We acquired a we acquired an inspection company about a year and a half ago, and we've integrated their tech in. So we're also one of the few companies in the marketplace where the inspection tool in the module is very sophisticated and customizable, and it actually integrates. The data goes right in. As you're going through the inspection, it's actually coming right into our platform. So all mm -hmm. the inspection data is there. It can actually drive creation of the work orders and the scheduling for the turn that you're trying to get done in three days. Wow. So, so, so you sent, send, so, so on an inspection, is this a pre-purchase inspection or this is like a post move out inspection? It can be either. The inspection okay. module is built in to the, to the platform and gotcha. you can use it to do, you know, someone's moving out, pre-move out inspection, someone's moving in. And in the UK, we use variations of our inspection tool for compliance. And we're doing mm. some, Fascinating work right now around fire, uh, mold, uh, dampened mold, mildew remediation. Um, it's a little more complex to do compliance in the U.S. because, as you know, federal, state, state to county. <laughs> Good luck. County to city to local, right? Everyone's but, I mean, but every city to city, yeah. you know, it, it's just – and this is something that I've spent a lot of time digging into. You know, we did a lot of content education while at my time at, at a company called Avail – which is property management for the independent landlord. And um, we, you know, I, 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 and I still keep my, my ear to the ground on new legislation that's being passed. And, you know, the last few years, the number of changes all across the country, you know, when, when Oregon first led the way of like, we're going to get rid of single family zoning and now you can do infill builds. So if you had a single family house, but it has big enough space, you can make it a duplex. And that was, you don't have to have your neighbor's permission anymore. 
you know, when Seattle said, uh, we're going to extend, you know, eviction moratoriums or they prevented like certain screenings, you know, well, if you're building an app for the country, but you can't do a screening in one city, I mean, it's just, it's complicated, you know, to constantly, and, and now I think it's New York has price restrictions on what you can charge and Massachusetts has restrictions on certain forms. So even when you're thinking about that, like from a from the maintenance side, are there are you are you hitting similar headwinds, or does it not uh, does that not quite get to your area of the business because it's a little bit removed from some of that tenant uh, interaction back and forth? Well, we we can address it. Uh, it is a little bit removed for us, but it does ultimately surface in at the at the instant where there's some type of a work order created. It's always surfaced there, but back mm. office, and it's typically mm-hmm. integrated into whatever the, the work order details, conditions, and specifications are. So we see it, um, but it's typically built in um, by the company as a matter of policy or process, the, the client that we're working with. What we, what we see a bit more of, um, Nate, is we see virtually all of our clients and prospects coming in and taking the inspection module and customizing it and we can customize by property so they don't come in and build one model and say i've got to apply it to seattle and then to new york and to dallas and Mm. we can customize in dallas down to properties down to you know a group of apartments or single family homes if they choose and that type of customization which is not difficult at all really helps speed the process to the point where like in new york you've got you know we've got a lot of old timers in new york been running these buildings 20, 25, 30 years. They're walking mm-hmm. around with clipboards and make ready lists, right? We can mimic that if they choose to. We can put on the tablet a, a, an interface that looks exactly like the paper checklist they're working <laughs> Honestly, but the difference is every time they check something, it doesn't get put up on a board in the back, you know, in the back office. It goes right into the system. And then yeah. the system assimilates the data and can drive the work orders and the processes necessary. I'd like to believe you're doing that, but uh, I need the UI to resemble yellow legal pad. <laughs> we specifically. can do that too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's somebody who's like, hey, look, I can't do it if it's not my yellow legal. But We can actually um, do that. <laughs> and, and what, what's fascinating to me is, you know, because you know, you, I would think I, I, on the surface, you know, I'm, I'm ignorant here. Where I would be like, well, just go for all property management. Do the whole kit and caboodle. But you guys have really stayed focused on that, just the maintenance side and the operations size. You know, your expansion into the U.S., like, have you, like, what does that look like as far as a market opportunity? Like, how big is this problem? Because you were, you are mentioning even your wife's response to hearing about this. Put that to, give me some some numbers or context to put yeah. to scale as to like what the opportunity here is to really solving this problem. Well, first of all, I will tell you to answer the first part of your question, we do intend to expand uh, across, mm. as I said, the holistic approach, the consultative approach, and go from end to end. Now, are we doing it today? No. Uh, have we, you know, targeted acquisitions right now? And I can say, hey, Nate, we're looking here and looking there. Or are we doing a build? No, but but there's no doubt speaking with um, with our CEO um, and with our CTO and, and even um, some of our investors, there's no doubt that we see an opportunity to expand what we're doing mm-hmm. from, a, from A to Z. So I'll, I'll leave that piece there. No timelines, no firm commits yet, but it would just make sense for us, Nate. 
the the challenge right now is that there's more than we can chew. You know the old joke about how to eat an elephant, right? And in in my world, and I know it's probably the same here in yours, is we used to work with TAM, Total Addressable Market, right? Right. Um, and when we look at it in the U.S., we can't even get our arms around it yet. There's 143 million rental units in single family and uh, and multifamily and student housing and, and every other flavor you can imagine. We can't even get our arms around it yet. Um, we're still we're still trying to, to take in the big picture. What we know is um, the the demand the demand as you said earlier is 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 off the charts. And I will tell you that the ro only roadblock that we see, and I and I would venture to say our competitors see as well, because I get to speak with them. You know, I was at Retcon. Um, what is today? Oh Thursday. yeah, I was, I was in Retcon. Um, what I guess it was last week um, now. And we all come across the same thing. We come across two words in the property sector. Good enough. This is what you want uh, you, You're not wrong. I laugh because I talk about all the time with my team. Like, if we can get it to 80%, I'm, I'm fine with that. Let's keep it chipping. Yeah. That's what you hear. You, you, you sit with these, with these um, various property management companies, um, owners, landlords, and some mm -hmm. of them are, are mm -hmm. really, really big, Nate. And you'll always get, you know, well, what we're doing right now, it, it, we know it's not great, but it's good enough. And in the software industry, when we were developing tech, and I've been in it forever, we loved hearing that because good enough is never good enough. And if you can, if you can show through a consultative approach to a business person who's looking at it as a business decision, right, ROIs, NOIs, et cetera, you can always overcome good enough. But I'll tell you what the real challenge is, and I guarantee you people listening to this podcast are seeing this. It's change management, right? And I'll mm. give you an example. When I was at Lenovo Software and I was chief revenue officer there, I constantly had vendors coming to me wanting to give me their software, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of software to get me to deploy it. And Nate, some of it was damn good. It really, really was good. It still is good, right? My challenge wasn't the money it was going to cost me every month or every quarter to license their software. My challenge was the change management associated with getting hundreds of people to adopt a new tech. Now, did we yep. do it occasionally? Sure, we did. Lenovo's yep. a cutting-edge company. Of, of course we did, right? Yep. But when you go into some of these property management companies, we can overcome good enough. We can show them the benefits. We can play consultant with them and get them to, you know, come on board with all of the ideas. Everything makes yep. sense to them, but you've got to be able to, um, you've got to be able to calm the concerns and to do this through facts, not anecdotes, on how yep. you're going to manage the change process. So we do. So we brought people on board to the business, and we've had them in the UK for a long time. This is what they do, you know, the old Six Sigma black belt attitude, you know, right? Um, used to be books on every shelf, everywhere you looked on Six Sigma. Where <laughs> is that thing these days? Where is it these days? Is it is it still it's, relevant? It's, is it a thing? Well, it is relevant, but it seems to have fallen out of favor. Maybe everybody who needed the certification got it, Nate. <laughs> Everyone certified. <laughs> Don't I, I think that's anymore. what happened. It's like working <laughs> in the bank. Everyone became a vice president, right? Um but I feel the change management problem though. I mean, like, I feel it like, so, you know, when, I'm, when I bought a storage facility, 
and it's it's monstrous. Twenty units. Twenty. It's not big, but it's just twenty big garages. That's basically what I bought. Twenty big tin boxes. And I was like, man, how am I gonna get everyone on this? Because like we didn't have, con- I didn't have contracts for all the customers. There was such an inconsistency on rates. You know, deposits were were varied whether they even had a deposit or not. And I, I was like, I, I guess I don't know what I'm looking for here. Like I didn't have real verification, and so like the seller could have given me half the deposit money. Who knows? Right. But um. I was like, man, how am I going to get everybody on this thing? Like, but I really do need everyone on this thing. And it was even like, we're talking small, but you know, if you can paint the picture, like your average customer, like how many properties are we talking or units or doors are we talking here? Um, Well, in in the UK, our sweet spot is social housing, as you would imagine, right? Because in the UK, 80% is is social housing. and we have two of the largest, number one and number two in the country with, you know, over 110,000 doors, right? Um, what we're seeing in the U.S., our sweet spot seems to be somewhere between about 12 and 20,000 doors. Now, we're wow. talking to, and we, you know, we have a client. In fact, you know, uh, Bob came out to Retcon with me. He was up on stage with me. You know, Bob Salwasser, who's the founder and, and president at uh, Income Property Specialist in the Bay Area, San Francisco, Bob's got, a, I guess, about 3,000. Um, great business, 40 years in the industry. I, I learned more from Bob over dinner than uh, I can even say. But we've got some that are, you know, we're talking now, and I won't mention names. But we're talking to, you know, literally the biggest in the country, 75,000, 100, 125,000, you know, doors. And, and therein wow. lies the challenge, too, in the U.S., when you come across a company, as you well know, has 100,000 doors, well, they're not all sitting in the five boroughs in New York, and they're not sitting in Seattle or or San. They might not all be the same asset type. That's that's exactly right. Or they went out and they bought twenty companies to get there, and all twenty companies are on different management systems. And that is an opportunity. Um, and I will tell them to their credit, uh, we're probably talking to the top ten. I would say the top ten largest in the country right now. And to their credit, they've done an amazing job standardizing. And really mm-hmm. homogenizing um, that exact issue that mm-hmm. that you raise, um, but they're still wrestling with the fact that there's no centralization in how they manage operations, and this is where Plentific comes in. Our platform I, is just that. I've heard this problem articulated multiple times. You know, we, we've had companies like Poplar, Pure Management, uh, on the show, and you know, they talked about some of the opportunities, even Alfred. Where, uh, you know, your institutional ownership as that wants to increase or the, the appetite from Wall Street increases in, you know, investing into large portfolios of real estate, especially on the single family side. Mm-hmm. The problems become is the, the operations of, of that real estate. It's not as simple as just, you know, if you bought the portfolio from someone, great. Now, who manages that? Well, if you have, if you have five different management companies, then even how you how you interface with those five different companies is all a challenge, so and that doesn't even get to the, yeah, the maintenance side of how the maintenance side of and yeah. so th- this has become uh, I think a little bit more like uh, you know it's just been it's got a greater light shown on it where if you have a significant portfolio uh, and especially if you're in more than one region and being fluid anymore is almost like a requirement of real estate. 
you know, you've got to find yield somewhere. And sometimes that doesn't mean staying in the same city. You've got to, I mean, that's what the, the Midwest has blown up as an opportunity uh, over the last few years. And so, yeah, I'm hearing, I'm hearing more and more of that exact sentiment uh, that it's become a challenge. Well, I think, I think one of the things we're seeing is when the investment money started to tighten up, obviously with, you know, interest rates and recession, mm-hmm, pending recession mm-hmm. if you, if you believe that, um, What's happened is what, what everybody does, right? When the money got tight and you're not out buying another 500 or 1,000 or 2,000 units, what do you do? You take a step back and you focus on your core business. What can I do to improve it, right? Okay, I've got this. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, over the last six or eight months, companies that I think weren't really concerned with the four or five points or six points on their operational side, they were bleeding because they're out doing a $250 million raise to go out and buy three more portfolios, Right. All of a sudden, they're not doing that. And mm-hmm. for us, we, we see that as a tremendous opportunity because it, it's we're smack dab in the middle of it. And we're I'm actually speaking with, with two clients now who have the exact situation you described. They bought multiple properties around the country. They yep. are running not on the ERP side. They were able to standardize that. But on the operational side of their business, they're running disparate systems, Right. What we're doing is we're literally coming in and we're, we're building out the scope on this right now, and we're mm-hmm. going to centralize on our platform right, to do exactly that, to take all the disparate ways and policies they're running operations with and centralize it, and it's all going to be managed out of the New York office. It can be done that way, right? But mm-hmm. again, what's the biggest impact? Change yeah. management, right? That's the challenge. So we're spending... We're investing heavily in the change mm-hmm. management aspect of how we scope the project, how we get to know the people on, and we're we're an on the ground company. We are literally an on the ground company. We've got people coming in from UK, from the US, sitting with clients in some cases for weeks before we lift hmm. the pencil to do anything wow. or, or install anything. That's not the in the past when you went in with cyber, it was sort of sound boom boom bang bang bang, and you were rolling out. You know, um, you can't do that in this industry. It's too much of a sea change and it can mm. be too painful for some of these companies. I, I don't know if I've heard that yet. You know, you, I mean, you kind of really illustrate. I hear um, a lot of uh, I, I see it on Twitter a lot in the, the real estate community. You know, real estate's a local game. You can't just, you know, build up a national tech company that's going to overtake all of real estate. And I hear you kind of. Yeah, I don't want to say that you're saying that. Yeah, that that you can't just do that. But I think you're you're reinforcing here. Like, there's a lot of local. It it is a people yeah. game still. Even if there's tech being leveraged, there's still a lot of it's a people business that you need to be thinking about. And so I want to use that as uh, I want to get to the bottom of the show here. But I, I gotta get to this. You know, one of the challenges you can't ignore about building a prop tech company is the pace of adoption. You talk about the some of the friction being change management. How are you how are you first as a, especially as a software guy dealing with the slow adoption rate in of tech and, and prop tech and then also how are you overcoming it? Well, first of all I can tell you that that, that there's so much demand and there are so many businesses who have never even started to look at tech in any way that if all you do is target the low-hanging fruit, Nate, mm-hmm. you've got enough work for three years. I, 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 I kid you not. I mean, <laughs> it, it, 
it absolutely it absolutely blows my mind. In the software industry, adoption was always a problem. Coming up with pipeline and and going in and really having good conversations with solid companies, mm-hmm. least least of our problems right now. But you use the word that's that I think is key, and the word is adoption. Right in the software industry, we used to refer to it as downstream adoption. You come in, you put in a great platform, great system, mission critical. You know, you did thoracic surgery, right? You weren't operating on feet. You went in and did thoracic surgery. And then you go back and you find out a couple of months later, nobody's using it. So the company spent a million, two million, heck, in some deals I was involved in, 10 million or more, nobody was using it. So what we do, and this again, you said, you know, bringing some experience to the table. And I don't think, I, I really didn't have to tell the guys in the UK, they're pretty sharp. But one of the things I did before anything is I said, the buyer's journey has changed, right? I'll give you an example of exactly mm. what I'm talking about. If you look at the funnel, we're going to talk a little bit about sales and marketing now. I love it. At, Let's go. Okay. So you look at the funnel, top of the funnel. In the old days, what happened was, your sales guys and gals got introduced right at the top of that pyramid, right? You got a lead, mm-hmm. you got a call, you ran an ad, you went to a show. They came mm-hmm. in right at the top of the funnel. And this is how, you know, the old timers were trained to sell. This is what we did. Mm-hmm. Those days have been gone for a long time. What happens now is you never know where in the funnel you're going to get introduced to the client. Hell, you could be 70% down that pyramid because by the time that client comes in, they know damn well what three companies they like, how the tech works, how it's going to integrate, who they're assigning to the project. Do they want to pilot? What kind of a rollout? What's the budget? They know all this, right? It's available to them. So mm-hmm. they come in. So now the buyer's journey is no longer, you know, 70, 80, 90% selling, implementation, and then some light customer service. Nate, the selling part is 20%. The implementation mm-hmm. is a big piece. And then everything that buyer's journey is afterwards and what happens afterwards adoption customer success keeping them happy doing your job given right it's all about adoption so the moral of the story is when we build out our u.s team we already had this in the uk and we're improving it we're developing a team that literally does just that they go into the customer and to Mm -hmm. the contractors and we're driving adoption of our platform, whether it's the users on site at a client in Dallas, right, that's managing 19,000 properties, okay, or yep. it's a group of contractors in the five boroughs in New York who we go through and we see there's a couple of contractors. They're not bidding. They're not even looking at jobs. Hell, they're not logging into the platform. So guess what? They get a phone call. Hey, how's it going? You know, there was a job right in your area. It was an $1,100 job. You never bid on it. We're driving downstream adoption because you're right, mm. Nate. If you don't do that, you're a SaaS solution. They'll turn you. You're out. Yeah. And that's yeah. not going to happen with Plantific. And you know why? Our tech is too solid. It's been around too long. It's too proven. We're not going to let that happen. And if that's where we have to keep investing money, that's where we will invest money. That's a commitment. I love it. I love it. All right, Sal, we're going to shift here to the bottom of the show, a segment I like to call For the Future. For the Fuse, for the Future is when I get to ask each guest who comes in the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Uh-oh. Are you ready to play? <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> All right. We'll start off easy. What does Plentific look like one year from now? 
Well, I got to be careful. I got to be careful how I answer this because I don't want I don't want the uh, don't spill the beans. But you can yeah, you can talk gotta, a little bit. Got to I got to be Big careful. Picture. With that. Um, one year from now, uh, are you familiar with Gartner? You know how Gartner does their magic quadrants. The analyst is that firm? the uh, like the TV rating ratings people? No, Gartner's a big analyst group. But anyway, if I, I was going to frame it and say if we were Gartner, we're in the top right quadrant of their rating. Uh, where oh, okay. are we in a year? Plantific within one year is the leading a leading platform on the operational side of the business. We've got we've grown. Um, we're going to double revenue, and uh, we've grown in the U.S. probably by three x in terms of our staffing. And we are probably one of the best known, uh, best known operational platforms in the industry in the U.S. within a year. Come back and check with me. I, th- oh. I think we'll be a household name, figuratively speaking, within the industry because it's happening fast, Nate. I'm seeing it already. All right. Now, I know this, this next one is not exactly uh, – it's not maintenance or operations, but it's impacted by, I think, a lot of the changes that we've been seeing. So. Uh, number two on for the future, will the number of property managers increase or decrease over the next few years? Why? Decrease. It's already going down. Um, there's two reasons. One, uh, the great resignation is impacting our clients. We're seeing it in a big, big way. That's sort of a negative reason. And the mm-hmm. other is going to be automation. Um, you're going to continue to see uh, there's going to be less steps in the each process to get things done. It, and I'm not saying we're looking to displace workers because we're not. There's always work to do in a property management company. It's always going to happen. But There's I'm always something to fix. It. Uh, it's it's, it's going to be automation. There, there's just yeah. too many steps that are manual now that do not need to be manual. All right. Number three, what's one industry trend you think will continue but you wish would go away? <laughs> one industry's trend. <laughs> Oh gosh, there's a whole there's a whole bunch of things that I can I can talk about there. Um, I would, God, I can I can think of three or four. Nate, let me let me pick one. Okay, uh, one industry trend that's going to continue is tenants are going to continue to be dissatisfied with the maintenance and repairs. Oh, heyo, that that is that's going to continue. It's not something you fix easily, and I wish it wouldn't. Uh, my own, you know, my own daughter rents in the Raleigh area where we live here, and. Um, you know, her refrigerator broke. They sent her a, after 12 days, they sent her a dryer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's just, and, and, and I won't mention where she lives. It's a big, not thing. exactly the same thing. It's, 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 it's bad. I think that's going to, I will give you one stat. 87% of the operational spend goes into maintenance and repairs, you know, R and M. Right. And yet it doesn't make the top 10 list. When they poll property managers in their 10 biggest concerns. So they're spending oh, wow. all their money on it, but nobody puts it in as a priority. Oh, that's fascinating. All right. Number four of For the Future here. Which one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? <clears throat> well, that's a um, that's a that's a tough one. Um I think I think the the challenges around supply chain um, are are going actually are going to go away um, over time, and I think it's going to be driven by the technology that companies like us and some of our competitors are bringing to the marketplace. But I also think it's going to come around digital, as they say, digitalization. But analytics, there's so many organizations out there running large property portfolios 
who are not looking at the data and they don't have their hand on the pulse of what's happening with their business. And one of the biggest areas is going to be around supply chain. So I think that pain point is going mm -hmm. to gradually start to fade as we bring more technology and automation um, into play, despite the great resignation. I think that's going to start to fade, give it another uh, year. Well, I think a lot of people would hope that you are right. I'm hoping um, we're right too. Yeah. All right, Sal, these last three are more about you. So our listeners get to know you just a bit better. Uh, first one, what are you reading? <laughs> I'm rereading a book. Uh, this is not going to work for your, for the people listening. No, uh, anything I'm, counts. It's all good. I'm, I'm rereading a book I've read before um, that I really enjoy by an author by the name of Eckhart Tolle. And the name of the book is The Power of Now. Okay. I, I, why does that not work? I mean, I've not read it. I, I've heard of that name. It's a, so. spir it's a spiritual book. It's not very oh, business, okay. But everything applies to business. So Yeah. All right. Hey, we've had a few of those recommendations come up. So um, it fits right in. Some people only recommend novels. They they just, that's their escape. They like to, hey, you know, so Me it's too. all good. Hey, I love a novel or a movie. There it is. Uh, number two here, who are you learning from? <laughs> this is this is really going to sound self self serving here, but I'm 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 going to tell you, and I'm going to be really candid, um, and I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. But I'm I'm learning from from the CEO from Jim uh, Savas, the founder of the company, former investment banker, um, incredibly successful, and and I'm going to tell you what I just said to someone the other day at Redcon. I said in the last 14 months I've been here. I've gone to Jim as arguably the most seasoned salesperson in the company, and I've said to him, this is how things are going to play out. And every time he tells me I don't have it exactly right and he tells me how it is going to play out in the property sector, he's been right 100% of the time. And I hope he doesn't listen to this. But I'm, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm in a new industry, Nate. I'm learning from everybody right now, you know, but I'm particularly yeah. learning a lot, uh, a lot from Jim. He's got a ton of experience, and uh, that's just the truth. Very cool. All right, last one here, Sal. What inspires you? What is what inspires me? Um, I, I'll tell you, I'm 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 most I'm most inspired um, on a daily basis by music. I find that I find that I, music for me is is very motivating in terms of what in, inspires me in business. Uh, I, I've been through so much, Nate, and I've had so many big jobs and I've started a number of companies. And what really inspires me is being able to look, sit down at the end of the day and feel like I actually accomplished something. I moved the needle, um, which is why I love coming in and launching, you know, uh, launching a country like this. That That's mm -hmm. what really gets me. I got offered a couple of jobs where it was, hey, we've got an existing business. We want to grow at seven, eight, 10 percent a year. You're the guy. And I turned them down. Um, th that doesn't work for me. I like to go from nothing to something and watch the needle move a little bit every day. And then the other thing I'll give you too, the other thing is, uh, mentoring, you know, I'm, I'm deep down, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a teacher at heart. Um, and I mentor three individuals now, um, two in the U S and one out of the country. Um, and that brings me great satisfaction. I've seen them go on to achieve great things. And one is a mm. CEO of a high tech company. I won't mention um, but you'd know their name if I mentioned it. So, so things like that really inspire me and move me. That's very cool. Sal, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, I really appreciate your time and, uh, this has been a fun conversation. Um, you got, you got a level of passion. Uh, I love it. It just, it just shines right through. 
but for, for listeners who want to get connected to you or they want to go on and learn more about Plantific, where do they go? How do they do that? Mine's easy. It's the first name, Sal, uh, dot my last name, Patalano, um, at Plantific.com. They can also find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I think I'm one of two uh, Sal or Salvatore Patalanos on LinkedIn. Reach out. I love nothing more than connecting with people if for no other reason than to just, you know, shoot the you know what and uh, and have a good human connection and interaction. That would be great. Awesome. Well, I hope we get a chance to meet one of these days. I don't get to too many events, uh, but there's there's a few prop tech events I'll be at this year, I think. So uh, hopefully I'll see you around at those. But until then, we'll catch you later. Thanks so much, Nate. I had a blast. Thanks for listening to TechNest. The PropTech Podcast. Find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode on technest.io. You can get future episodes delivered to your ears directly by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other major podcast apps. Follow TechNest on social media to stay up to speed on new developments, resources, and announcements in PropTech. Your support is greatly appreciated. There's two ways you can directly support this podcast. Share episodes you find interesting and then leave a review of the show in the App Store. From Nate and the TechNest team, thanks for listening.